Welcome to the People Analytics and Future Work Podcast with Al Adamson. Hi, this is Al Adamson, founder and executive director of the Talent Strategy Institute. And I'm here today with Didier Elzinga of CultureAmp. Didier, there? I am. Great to speak to you, Al. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for joining me today. I'm super excited to talk with you because you have been doing some great things over the past four or five years. And when we first met, when you won Hot New Startup, if I recall correctly, at HR Tech. And since then, you've been uh, doing some great things with CultureAmp. So if you would, uh, you mind introducing yourself and a little bit about CultureAmp? It would be my pleasure. So hello, everyone. Uh, Didier Elzinga, the CEO and founder of CultureAmp. And at CultureAmp, our mission is to make the power of people analytics accessible to everyone. And this is actually the idea that I founded the company on that there's a big wave of change of the data coming in-house and that people and culture matters. And so using software to get that into the hands of people is what I get really excited about. So the, the chance to, to speak to yourself, Al, and the Talent Strategy Institute is fantastic because this is what we built the company for. Well, yeah, again, thanks for joining. And if I think about you and I think about CultureAmp, it's, it's been around innovation. And I recall uh, you all having a different means in which to collect data. You were one of the first to use mobile devices to collect data. Um, can you speak to the innovations that you're promoting and how that's helped add unique value to your customers? Absolutely. So when we started the company, our, our first employee, who's our chief scientist, Dr. Jason McPherson, he said something when we started talking that has stuck with me ever since and has really been a, a founding theme for us. And it's a bit of a mouthful, but it was user experience is an overlooked element of statistical validity. The idea there is, you know, there's been so much fantastic science, particularly in the IO psych space and some incredible models and some really great research into the items and the questions that you should use. Uh, but up until that point, there really hadn't been a lot of focus on the experience that people went through having to fill in these surveys, having to provide this information. And so one of our ideas was, why is it so hard and why is it so ugly? Can we improve that experience? Because at the end of the data, at the end of the day, the data is only as good as what people are willing to tell you. And so we founded the company on that idea. Can we write software? Can we produce software? Can we deliver software that is actually, uh, you know, at, at worst, uh, okay to use, at best, something you actually enjoy? That's absolutely fantastic. And uh, I'm so geeked out about it. I actually uh, get chills when I hear you talk about it because you're absolutely right. The quality of the data uh, is overlooked oftentimes, as is what we're actually measuring in the first place. So given your unique platform, what are some of the constructs that you're measuring on behalf of your clients? Do you bring your own uh, survey instruments and uh, metrics, or do you customize to your clients or a combination of the two? Yeah, it's a combination of the two. I mean, what we wanted to do was it goes back to this mission of accessibility. We wanted to wrap up a lot of the research and the science and get that into people's hands. So the items that we give people, the templates that we use are ones that draw from the research. And we try and do as much of that in the open as we can. And we explain, you know, we believe this item is a good item for these reasons. And here's the research that supports that item. 
obviously over time we've generated a lot of our own data as well and we're constantly testing that data and using that data as a source of inspiration for what we can do for new customers and then we work with our customers themselves to help them so you know here are items that are benchmarked and developed and have research backed ideas behind them but we don't believe there is a perfect set of questions there are good questions and there are bad questions but there is no perfect questions so we work with our clients to help them choose the right ones and possibly to create their own and we often talk to people about you know good survey design if you if you're talking about running a survey to collect data to feed a, a people analytics strategy or to get a better understanding of your staff good survey design great survey design is not just a psychologist in an ivory tower telling you what makes people happy there is a lot of really good research that you should draw upon but at the end of the day the people that do it the best it's the organization intentionally describing the experience they want their people to have and measuring if it's occurring so we just want to bring some rigor and science to that but still allow the companies to drive that process because it's their business and their culture that they need to be accountable for so what i'm hearing you say is that if a leader wants a unique employee experience if they want a unique culture a unique way of doing things then you can empower them to measure uh, whether or not it's happening and in fact by the nature of the questions actually uh, potentially even promote or incentivize desired behavior is that a fair summary absolutely i think sometimes people forget that a survey instrument is, is bi-directional communication the questions you choose to ask tell people what you think is important yep and so there's always a, a mix there and and the best people and the best companies are the ones that fully engage in that process and they learn and they ask good questions and they use good questions that other people have used to understand but they're accountable for the culture that they're trying to create yeah, absolutely. And I, I couldn't agree more. And so with that in mind, you've worked with innovative companies, companies that have been on a rapid growth track or you know, technology companies, for example, but you've also worked with more established firms. So what are some of the characteristics of the organizations that are employing your tool and approach and receiving significant value from it, particularly where they from where they've been historically. Mm. I mean, there's a few things going on. I mean, what what's interesting to me is actually just how open companies are, are increasingly getting to doing this. Uh, it, people are the market has shifted faster than I thought it would, uh, particularly in the in the larger, more traditional companies. Uh, there's a level of desire and openness to measure in a lightweight way and, and use that data uh, that I haven't seen, that I didn't see two years ago, and it's, it's really taking place. The organizations which we see getting the best results are very much those ones that, first of all, you have to care. I mean, it sounds kind of silly, but they're companies that have sat down and said, you know, we're doing this great or we're doing this great, but this experience for our people really matters and we want to make it better whether it's good we want to make it great or whether it's average and we want to make it good that starts with caring and it starts from the top down and then it's curiosity the companies that do it the best are the companies that come in with curiosity and they're like we know we're not going to be perfect everywhere we think we're pretty good we know we care let's get better data so we can use that data to drive our initiatives and to understand what we're doing to make sure we're putting things in the right place and for me that's really the the heart of what I see in a successful organization it's it's you let them see sometimes for the first time with clarity what they may have kind of thought they knew 
but didn't really have as a really crystal clear thing. And so the companies that have done the best are those companies that come in with that attitude and then they use that data to take everybody on the journey. So I got asked once in an interview, people said, don't HR people hate you because you're bringing big data and they're used to trusting your gut, uh, trusting their gut. And I said, actually, HR people love us because the reason you pay them is they're very good at working out what's going on. They're very good at trying to understand the, the pain points. The problem is nobody believes them. And with a tool like CultureAmp, you can actually bring data to bear and you can actually explain to people, if we do nothing, this is what will be likely to happen. That is a choice. If you don't want that outcome, then we should focus on this, that, or the other so that we can achieve a different future. And that's been really rewarding to see companies go on that journey. That's, um, yeah, you know, again, as you're sharing this, I, I get inspired. I think of Carol Dweck, growth mindset, you know, and I think, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the essence of leadership and creating a culture and HR's role in, in making that happen. Uh, one of the uh, concepts that is coming up more and more is the idea that surveys are confidential and non-anonymous. So there can be uh, better research done on the back end and linking down to the individual. Uh, is that something that you facilitate? What's your position on that? Yeah, so I think the, I guess there's two ends of the spectrum. Uh, there is fully anonymous and then there's fully attributed. And what we're seeing is that Fully anonymous is useful when you have a low level of trust, and that's sometimes appropriate, that you need to just have true anonymity. The challenge in an organization of any size is that it gets very difficult to actually act on it because you don't know where it's coming from, and without that context, it's hard to understand what it is that needs to change. Uh, full attribution very rarely works in this type of environment. I mean, I've had conversations with CEOs who say, no, we're a culture where, you know, everybody needs to put their name next to something. And I would say, well, why don't you run a little experiment and run an anonymous thing and ask people if they're happy with it. <laughs> uh, so, you know, there, there's definitely, you know, and the research supports this and, you know, there's been decades of people looking at this. You need to create a safe space. You know, things are not always perfect and you need to give people a safe space in which to do it providing color to that through demographics or ways of being able to understand, you know, is the experience of people in this department or that department different? Or, you know, what's the experience of women in your organization? Or what's the experience of this group or that group? These things are valuable. In this world of big data, this is creating all sorts of interesting problems because people say, okay, we've got all this valuable data. Can't we cross it with all this data we have over there? And you'd say, technically, that's really, really easy. Uh, if you actually want to preserve that anonymity if, or that confidentiality, if you want to create an environment where there is a safe space, it gets much, much harder to do that because you right. need to provide aggregate data. And I actually think that's a problem that we as an industry are only just wrapping our brains around what's the right way to do it. Got it. So at the end of it, you can accommodate the approach that the organization wants to employ. Is that fair? Correct. So we, we support all the way through the spectrum. The only thing that we won't budge on is that whatever approach is being taken needs to be communicated to everybody in the process. So if I'm taking a survey, I need to know what's gonna happen with the data. And if my raw data is gonna be shared with your data warehouse, I need to know that. And so it's, it's really about as long as you are upfront, technically we can support both ends of the spectrum. 
Uh, we, we will suggest to people what we've seen work well in other places and we take the confidentiality and creating that safe space extremely seriously as a company. Got it. Now, if I may, I'd like to step back a little bit because you've been sharing uh, surveys and uh, we talked about culture, HR's role in facilitating that and how you know, culture app enables it. And people analytics is a very broad field and it's, I think you would agree it's ill-defined, but it's getting mm. better understood. So you know, what is people analytics to you personally? And you know, where does the survey and survey research fall into maybe the priorities as you see it? And uh, I'm going to, if I may, just lead you into an answer. Uh, you know, obviously, mm -hmm. you're capturing how people are thinking and feeling, which arguably is a, the fulcrum uh, that answers why something is happening. Um, so you know, what, what are your thoughts you know, on that assertion? Yeah, I think I, I, ha I have a, a strange relationship with the term people analytics. So it's in our mission statement you know, to make the power of people analytics accessible to everyone. I actually hate the term people analytics. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, it just feels cold and, and, you know, like a hangover from, a, from an old way of thinking about it. It's sort of, you know, human resource. It's not human capital. I hate that term too. Um, yeah. That said, it seems to us, particularly over the last couple of years, it's kind of become the term. So, you know, I recognize that it's the thing, it's the closest term we have to, to where I want to play. And the piece that we play in is very much, as you said, about employee feedback and then the analytics around that. When you take a broader view of what people analytics can look like in an organization, there is much more to it than just that, you know, yeah. and I think there's a lot that we can learn um, and a lot we can borrow from marketing. And so yeah. for me, the, the, the piece that we play in is really that how do you bring information to bear from the group that can tell you about the experience that you're creating, whether it's working. And a lot of what we're trying to do is help cut through to get to that point where here's a piece of research or here, sorry, here's a piece of feedback. You can do something with that feedback. Uh, what you do with it is much more important than analyzing it to death. Um, but it needs to be understood in a, in a, in a larger strategy of how do we use data to help determine and drive our decision-making process? And my fear is that when people come at it cold, that they go, you know, and I remember you and I had this great conversation five years around this, which is what work anal workforce analytics was. Mm -hmm. You know, workforce analytics was as far away from the human experience as you could possibly get. Yep. It was people in a spreadsheet calculating ratios and numbers with no particular regard for the difference between people. And what I think the future, my hope for the future of people analytics is that it's much richer, it's much more descriptive, and it's much more interested in the differences between people rather than just trying to reduce it all down to a number. Yeah, I absolutely love what you're sharing. And I, too, have many issues with the term uh, people analytics. And yeah, to your point, it has become uh, a bit of an overused term and a bit of an intimidating term. And as you were responding there, it dawned on me that you and, and CultureAmp in general likely help uh, your clients 
devise a measurement strategy or, or a data strategy so they can identify those salient drivers of culture and downstream outcomes. Is that a, a fair statement? Do you help look at their data landscape and, and help them identify ways to put it together in more meaningful ways? Yeah, we, we absolutely do. And there's some really interesting work that people are doing now. And, n you know, none of this is new, but the ability to apply it at fairly low cost and in rapidly are things like linkage analysis, looking at, you know, what can we learn from people that left this cohort rolling back and what do we know about them six months before they left? Can we learn anything from that, particularly if we can divide it by those that were regrettable or not regrettable and a lot of the things that you know someone who has the title people analytics or people analyst would be doing on a day-to-day -day basis what we see as the challenge is oftentimes people want to fly before they can walk and so you start talking about all this stuff and people are like they can visualize the dashboard already and you're sort of like okay you know just wait a second you know we don't actually have you as an organization you haven't actually developed any capability to measure anything at all and then you haven't developed the capability to, once you've started measuring stuff, show people that you're actually acting on the stuff you're measuring. And then you haven't worked out how to connect all those things together. Now, once you've done all of that, then you can start talking about God dashboards. But from a lot of companies, that's a three or four year journey. And so we have to sort of make sure that people do the end goal, but also work out what needs to be done to get there. And I think there is a little bit of a, uh, almost a, not a misunderstanding, but I actually had this conversation with someone yesterday where they said, well, you know, the real power in a data strategy is when you can connect everything together. And I said, actually, I think a lot of the power that comes out of a data strategy is just getting the data for the first time. Mm -hmm. It's when people can actually see and they start doing things. Connecting all the data is valuable and you can do really good stuff with it, but that's incremental improvement. The radical improvement is when you're teaching companies to see for the first time and getting them to use first-hand experience to drive what they're doing. You know, as you're sharing, you mentioned dashboards, for example, and I imagine your dashboards are not only for the HR business partners, uh, but they're for managers themselves. Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, you, this actually creates visibility where formerly there might not have been uh, visibility, or maybe there's just clear understanding of dynamics that are are happening. Um, so, with that in mind, uh, at what frequency uh, do you suggest that the data collection happen at the employee level? Um, I see a movement towards uh, more frequent surveys, uh, semi-annual, quarterly, even. Uh, where do you fall on that spectrum? So my overwhelming uh, viewpoint on this is your cadence of measurement cannot be too much faster than your cadence of action. Hmm. So one of the mistakes I see is people are like, you know, technologically we can survey every day, but if as an organization you can't use that data and respond to it and act accordingly, you'll kill the, the loop. And so it's more important that you sit down and say, on what cadence do we act and then how do we align the way we measure data so that it, it fits into that. And so, for example, it could be quite a powerful thing if you work on a quarterly cadence that rather than doing a, a survey off kilter or once a year or twice a year or in the middle of the quarter or something, if you collect that data at the end of the quarter so that the data is 
uh, fresh and brought to bear at exactly the same time that you're doing your sales pipeline analysis and you're you know, and pl planning for the product roadmap. What you're doing is you're actually saying, this is an important part of the strategic picture that you need to know. You need to look at it and go, did we hit our sales numbers? Yes, we did, great. How are people feeling? Have we burnt them out? Or are they still holding up well? These need to be set at the same time. You don't want to have them separate. And so you know, the model that we tend to tell people is what we basically call a hybrid strategy. You are going to use a periodic thing to make sure that you know what you don't know, and whether that's quarterly, you know, twice a year, or even once a year, probably depends on the growth of the company itself, how quickly you're changing and what you need to measure. And then once you know what you don't know and once you know what you're focusing on, that's when you can use much more frequent surveying, often a lot shorter, around that particular issue because you're actually acting on it right now and people can see changes, whether it's daily, weekly, or monthly. So it's, it's, it's playing into that piece. That's a great response, and I couldn't agree more. And you just alluded to the strategic level. Like if you have a quarterly business review, then lining up the insight that you gather, say, with that process. And it would also be for maybe the supervisor and HR business partners themselves. And are they seeing the dashboards and are they should be in this hybrid approach as well? I presume, yes. I just want to be clear on who the users are at the end of the day. Yes. I mean, you want to, it's a, once again, it's a maturity curve. And so you'll often start with HRBPs. You have to get, you know, the executive to see the data and, and want to care about it. And ideally you want the managers and other people too. So, you know, you want people to understand that the people perspective is a fundamental part of the business and here is data that can help support whatever they're thinking, however they're framing problems, they can bring this to bear and all the way through the organization. And the best companies are the ones that do that. The challenge is, uh, as well as giving people the data, you have to educate and you have to give them the tools to understand and use that data. And that's where a lot of the user experience, a lot of the support, and that's often where the poor HRBPs get slammed in that they're meant to be helping a bunch of people that have never seen this data before uh, and don't know what to do with it, quickly and rapidly make sense of it. And that's a big opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Particularly given what has been the case uh, historically where that process of getting reports and analyzing it and communicating it and taking action was uh, cumbersome and long and uh, not well liked. So it sounds like you uh, have solved for that uh, pretty elegantly. So kudos to you and your team. And you know, given your team and the growth that you've enjoyed over the past several years, I mean, what has been an exciting development over the past several months or, or what lies ahead for you in 2017 here? So probably two things that spring to mind, one which I think is a broader one and then one which is probably specific to us. So the, the broader thing that I think has been really great and interesting is the growth and rise of text analytics. So mm -hmm. our ability to interpret not only quantitative data, but qualitative data too. And that, you know, that's happening in every industry. Uh, what I find interesting is that so much of that is based on text um, classifiers that are trained on consumer data. And so one of the challenges is that consumers don't talk about management and leadership and the sorts of things we care about in the employee world. And so, you know, we, we've been building our own. There are other people in the industry that have done some really good stuff too. And, you know, what you need to do that well is a really great training set. So we feel, you know, blessed to have worked with so many companies over the period of time that we can do that. 
And it's now really interesting to see the sorts of tools that we can give our customers to help them understand qualitative data at the same level as quantitative. So that, that's one. The, the second one, uh, which for us is a huge thing, is the way we think about, and you talked about it just briefly, action planning. The way we think about what do we do with the data. So action planning uh, as a concept for anybody that's had to do it before is a sort of you know loaded and dirty word. You're yeah. like, please don't make me do that again. <laughs> you know, after doing all of this, we get dragged into a room and then we have to commit to a bunch of things by a bunch of dates and it gets shoved into an action plan uh, or you know to-do list. And then you throw a whole bunch of Harvard Business Review articles at me and I, I'm meant to thank you for it. <laughs> what, what we're yeah. really excited about is how do we reframe that? So we've inspired we're very inspired by things like design thinking and a lot of the ways that people are turning this stuff around and saying, you know, it's not about the answers, it's about the questions. And so some of the stuff that we're launching this year is really about the tooling to support, uh, we call it a collaborative action framework. So how does a manager or how does a department head or how does a HRBP take people on a journey? And part of that is we're drawing from what we call an inspiration engine. So we've been pulling micro learnings from customers, from the industry, from all sorts of places that we can surface to people based on the data they're getting. And then we're engaging people in the process of actually owning that and running with it and doing something interesting with it. So for me, that's a huge thing this year. How do we help people uh, apply modern psychology, modern design thinking to an age-old problem that up until now has been very much run like a sort of Taylorist model? Wow. That's fantastic. And uh, what I'm hearing you say, too, is that uh, you're helping managers and HR business partners stay in curiosity and not just a, mm. a telling place, but actually a, a learning place so they can actually collaborate. Is that a, a fair depiction? Absolutely. And, you know, one thing that I probably say as well, one thing that I haven't said is AI. Mm. And part of the reason I haven't said it is I'm fascinated by it. I actually studied AI when I was at university. Uh, we have people doing some really amazing stuff in that space. But I look at a lot of the conversation that's going on, and there's you know this model of people saying, you know, first you have descriptive analytics, and then you have uh, predictive analytics, and then you have prescriptive analytics. And prescriptive, prescriptive analytics is where the real value is. I just think that is the biggest load of bunkum. Um, you know, prescriptive analytics ends up being star science. It's so generic, it's so not relevant to a lot of situations. And so we actually reverse that around and we think a lot about how do you use AI not to predict, but to educate, to inspire. We want to have the most sophisticated descriptive analytics so that we can help you make better decisions and we can surface insights from data. Not so our system can go make a whole bunch of decisions on your behalf. Yep. And I think that's actually gonna be a really interesting thing playing out over the next couple of years. A lot of what people are calling AI are really, really basic algorithms with not nearly enough data to do anything interesting. Uh, yeah, I 100% agree. And uh, I believe AI in HR is as a fancy access to information, uh, a la mm. Siri. And the, it begs the question to what we started 
talking about at the outset is what data is it accessing and how is it accessing it. And if the data is not good, it's not going to be worthwhile. And if it doesn't, to your point, facilitate a healthy discussion, healthy action, then it, for the sake of what? And the idea that we throw a bunch of data in a relational database or a cube and out pops an answer, um, I don't mm. think a healthy mindset to have either. So so kudos to you. And just to back up to the text analytics, if I may, which is arguably related or could be, um, mm. I hear you say that you're effectively building your own natural language processing um, uh, back backbone so you can mm -hmm. actually find the types of discourse that's happening uh, within an organization? Yeah, so we, we've, we've already built it and we're now applying it and we jokingly refer to it as ELF, Employee Language Focused Classifier. So we have our own set of algorithms. We have, you know, people with PhDs in text analytics that are focused on that problem. Uh, and we're using the domain da data and knowledge that we have to understand how do we classify, bring together, interpret, um, and analyze the sorts of things that employees say about their organizations. Yeah, that's fantastic. I, I look forward to learning more about that. Now, as we start to wrap up here, I mean, any... Uh, tidbits of advice for those who are looking to maybe change a, a survey vendor or get deeper into this uh, people analytics field, even though we might not like the term <laughs> all that much. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I, I, we're always happy to talk to people. A big thing for us is actually building a community of people geeks. Mm -hmm. And so we think about what we do. And for us, a people geek is the person that cares about this. So you know, if anybody wants to, we'd love to chat to them, even if they're not necessarily a customer. But the very specific piece of advice I would give to anybody uh, in thinking about people analytics is if you haven't read Edward Tufte, read, read Edward Tufte. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he is the, the father of how we present data visually. And for me, I think that's where we tend to fall down. You know, we can do all the magic behind the scenes, but if you can't render that data in a way that biases me to act, that helps me understand it, it's all for naught. And it amazes me how many times I'll talk to somebody in the space and say, you know, have you read Edward Tufte? What's your thought? And then they're like, they've never heard of him. So yeah. that would be my one piece of advice to anyone in people analytics. If you've read him, thank you. If you haven't, please do. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great advice. The visualization of quantitative information. It's on my shelf, all four books. So yeah, yeah I'm, I'm with beautiful. you. <laughs> and they are, and, and they are. And uh, so great advice. And Didier, again, always a pleasure speaking with you. I learn something every time we talk. And uh, yeah, look forward to seeing you uh, again in person very soon. Any closing comments? Uh, just thank you for the opportunity. You know, we're so excited about the, the upcoming event. You know, what you're doing with Talent Strategy Institute and this whole people analytics movement uh, is such a great fit for, for how we think. And it's Always fantastic to talk to a fellow people geek. <laughs> well, thanks, Adir. Yes, it is. <laughs> so uh, all the best to you, and uh, we'll be in touch. And thank you all for all right. joining us today. Bye-bye. Thanks, Al. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining the People Analytics and Future of Work podcast with Al Adamson. To find other podcasts, videos, upcoming events, and to join the Global People Analytics Network, please visit us at globalpeopleanalytics.net.